Carson, who is our lead pastor, is going to be preaching from Matthew 6, 16 through 18, which you can find on page 811 in the House Bibles that are in front of you. So if you would please stand with me, if you're able to, um, as I read aloud, and I'm going to be starting in verse 16 of Matthew 6. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Kevin's going to come on up and let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we're able to gather together as your people today. Um, thank you for the preparation that Kevin's put into the sermon for us today. God, I pray that you would speak through him. Um, I pray that you would just convict our hearts and open us up to um, your grace and your love and all the transformation that you want to do um, throughout our lives, God. Um, I pray that you would just give us ears to hear this today, God, and I thank you again that we get to come together and worship you and commune together. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I didn't know. You know I think it was a few years back of spoiling a movie for someone gathered um, for the gathering, but I hereby declare the statute of limitations on this wood. Feature films. If you've not seen 1998's film The Truman Show, you might get mad at me, but you've had 24 years to watch it, okay? But in that film, Jim Carrey um, plays Truman Burbank, who is unknowingly living his life as part of a reality TV show, right? The world is watching, he has no clue, not at the start at least, but when he finds out, you know, he's not too happy, right? I think. People who don't believe in Christ, people outside of the church, can often look at those of us within in that same way. They're watching us. They can see right through it all. You know, the, the shiny, happy family, the, the pristine home with the white picket fence, the manicured yard with all the toys stowed away. Um, they know it's fake, and they wonder when we're ever going to figure it out, and some would love nothing more than to see it all implode. But let me say, in many ways, we've brought that upon ourselves as God's people. We've not gotten the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's message, this book that we're walking through. We haven't gotten that words into our hearts. And here, Jesus lays out a better way, a, a much better way. And in doing that, he assaults the image and lifestyle of the religious leaders of that day, known as the Pharisees. Today, we're wrapping up this section in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. And we've seen Jesus talk about giving, of praying, and in these last three verses, we'll see what he says about fasting. But my bigger goal today is for us to hear the bigger point that Jesus is making. And to get there, I'm going to take you in a little bit of a, a circle. You'll see what I mean. I'll start off describing what their culture, their community, that of the Pharisees looks like. We'll take a look at their worship practices. We'll talk about their acts of devotion along with their motivations for that. 
I'll offer what I think is a key to something different. We'll see that how that then changes our worship, and then we'll come back to look at what our community, our culture together can become. But first, let's just look briefly at the culture of the Pharisees. Now, Jesus is again here on this mountain, teaching his disciples along with these crowds that have gathered, and he warns them about this group, the Pharisees. This group of largely lay leaders worked in tandem with a group known as the scribes. The scribes focused primarily on interpreting and reproducing God's word. The Pharisees spent their time telling people how to live it out. And Christ calls them out for doing a very poor job of that. They focused on piety, on being uber-devoted spiritually. Their name actually comes from the Hebrew word for separate. And they prided themselves on that, on being different, on being better than the surrounding culture. Now, even though they made up a minority of those in Israel that day, their influence was pretty massive. But their teaching left themselves and the people they led in a place of deep anxiety and with a spirit of judgmentalism. That's the culture the Pharisees created and perpetuated. Well, second... See a picture of their piety, of their devotion here in these verses. Jesus is teaching his disciples then and now how to fast. And he says very clearly, don't do it like those Pharisee dudes. Do the opposite of them. Here the first part of verse 16 again. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Now, if you, you don't know what fasting means, most basically, it's foregoing food, abstaining from eating. And Christian fasting, of course, it's for spiritual purposes, mainly for prayer. And as the Pharisees are doing this, and as we've seen in their giving and in their prayer as well, they're making sure that everyone knows. So picture the little kid who just heard he couldn't have another cookie, and he puts that frown on his face, you know, his bottom lip, you know, sticking out. That's how these religious leaders are walking around all gloomy. They're visibly sad. Jesus calls out the fact that they disfigure their faces. Right? When I hear that word, I think of Jim Carrey and how he does that. <laughs> but this is something different. Now, we don't see this word used much in the Bible. But here's what it's probably describing. So these men are walking around in robes. They're not cleaned up. And they're looking really unruly, drawing attention themselves. And on top of that, they're doing something that's probably extremely symbolic. They're sprinkling ashes on their head. They're rubbing them on their faces to show deep repentance, to show people that they were really sad. So they distort themselves on the outside. But in doing that, of course, they're completely ignoring the inside. Later on in Matthew 23, Jesus is going to light them up for being bowls that look clean on the outside but are filled up with trash for being tombs that are painted sparkly and white, but are chock full of dirt and death. Fasting was commanded by God, but really only one day a year in the law, the Day of Atonement. There, there were other days that God's people fasted to seek guidance, to request protection, to call out in repentance, to cry out in grief. God's people fasted other days, but the Pharisees were doing extra. 
On Mondays and Thursdays of each week, they were diehards, they were tryhards, but they were not getting any extra credit. They were getting called out by Jesus here, right? Here, of course, was this problem with them and their fasting. It was third, their motivation. They're trying to appear holy to get applause. Isn't that what Jesus said? They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. They want to be seen. They must be seen. They want to get praise. They distort themselves on the outside in order to look really devoted. Well, as Aaron and Darren explained before, the term hypocrite refers to an actor, to a stage player. So the world's a stage for these Pharisees. The streets of Jerusalem are their red carpet, and they're just strutting right on down. But they're about to get called on the carpet by Jesus the Lord. Several years ago, this man named Guy Goma, you may have heard this, was sitting in the lobby of BBC in London. He was there to be interviewed for this IT job. Well, at the same time, another man also went by the name of Guy, whose last name was Cuny, was getting ready to be interviewed live on air. And he was in a different waiting room. So Cuny was this leading technology expert. He was going on BBC to talk about this ongoing lawsuit between Apple and Apple Corps, the record label of the Beatles. And this receptionist burst into the waiting area where he thought Cuny was supposed to be. He greeted him by his full name, ushered him backstage for makeup in the works, but it was this other guy named Guy Goma instead. So he just thought his name was mispronounced, and he just went along with it all. And I'll tell you, the look of surprise and even horror on his face in the TV interviews began on live TV is priceless. And the way he just stumbles to play along and answer the questions is pretty hilarious. And of course, you have the other guy watching someone from the lobby. Also, he's being interviewed with his name at the bottom of the screen, and I'm sure he wasn't too happy about it either. Now, that was an accident that a guy played along with. But this is the way the Pharisees are choosing to live. They're trying to look like something that they're not, and Jesus is angered by this. And aren't our motives so critical? The way of the Pharisees is this. You puff yourself up to get more for self. They appear holy to get the applause. Now, think about this. Often when we use the word hypocrite in our culture, we're thinking of someone who's living a double life. Right? There's been a lot of talk about this week. I mean, there's a lot of talk about it every week, but especially I noticed several things with the um, forgiveness of student loans and, and the forgiveness of PP loans and all, all that. But as, as J.D. Greer points out, Jesus here is speaking of someone who is super religious, but who does not seek God for God's sake. Someone who treats God as the way to get something else. A better life now, going to heaven when they die, a solid family, and so on. So it's being an actor. It's, it's playing someone that you're not really, that's not who you are. Now we'll come back to this at the end, but we always think of the Pharisees as the people over there, the hypocrites. They're those people. We never think of ourselves, but there's far more of that sin in us than we realize and admit. How often do we play to the crowd? You know, you post the humble flexes on social media. How do we use those around us to get the attention that we so much want? But most of the time,
And we don't even realize it because as Jeremiah puts it, our hearts are deceitful, desperately sick. We can't understand our own hearts. These Pharisees no doubt have convinced themselves of this as well. Author Paul Miller says it's way more like bad breath than bedhead. We can look in the mirror and we can see that our hair is messed up before we walk out, but we can't usually smell our own breath, right? We need Jesus, we need his people to point that out. But that's not fun, right? We'd rather have people pat us on the back. But Jesus says here, that's not worth what it costs. It's something that will not last. In verse 16, he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The Pharisees have received it, their full reward. That's it, the high fives, the applause, the words of praise, the admiring looks, that is your reward. So they walk around saying they're trying to please God. But God isn't pleased or impressed, so they completely miss out on what's most important. So that's the motivation for their devotion. But I want to ask the why beneath the why. The why beneath the why. You've probably seen the meme, probably shared by every parent on your feed, the one with Yoda. Right? Now that I have children, this is what it says. I really understand the scene in Return of the Jedi where Yoda is so tired of answering Luke's questions, he just up and dies. <laughs> any, any moms or dads hear me with that? Now, I, I'd give anything to go back to when my kids were little, but man, that could get exhausting, right? What's that frog doing? Jumping? Why? To, to get somewhere else? Why does he walk? Well, I guess it's more fun or it's faster. Why? Because he's going somewhere. Why? Well, to get away from the tadpoles asking all the questions. <laughs> What's really, I want to say, fourth, driving those religious leaders? The Pharisees are trying to appear holy to seek after applause. That's why. But why are they doing that? Right? What's the why under the why? You see, that's getting to the deeper question that we have to ask, and it's critical if we want to have progress or have hope. What's underneath all the people pleasing? Insecurity? A lack of confidence? In who God is? In what He's done? That's what makes us so prone to anxiety. Have we done enough? Have we done it well enough? Does He think I'm a good person? Is she maybe mad at me? It's also what makes us so judgmental. If my life, if my work is based on how well I do and on how many people notice, I'll compare myself to those around me and I'll look down on them. Right? I'll count up my likes. I'll compare them to yours. Someone who doesn't heart my post, I'm going to get mad about and I might get bitter toward them. But that's a recipe for misery. Misery. Steve Brown puts it like this. The masks we wear bind us to a role that kills the very freedom Jesus died to give us. What's the key for us to truly change then and escape this life that we're so prone to that Jesus condemns? Well, fifth, it comes from a confidence. Confidence in the fatherhood of God. So think about the context here. We just passed the Lord's Prayer. How does it start? Our Father in Heaven. We have a dad who cares, but he also happens to be a dad that reigns over the heavens and the earth. 
Further on in the chapter, just down the page, if you have your Bible open, Jesus is going to give the reason why we live in so much worry. He says, you're acting like a pagan. You're acting like you have no dad, like you're an orphan. That's the same reason that we try to make the world our stage. We're forgetting we have a father. One we don't have to impress, who in Jesus' Son accepts us for who we are if we believe. If God is like Simon Cowell of American Idol fame, who looks down his nose and insults us in front of the crowd, we better try harder and do better, and we had better turn from him and seek the approval of people. But if he's the God of the Bible, if he's a good Father who smiles at us, we can live with confidence. We can have great security. Think about the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. So one son takes his inheritance early, and he blows it all on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And at his lowest point, he remembers his home, and he comes back. Right? He's running up the road. His father sees him, runs toward him, and showers him with hugs and kisses, and throws him the biggest party of all. My kids get annoyed by my attempts at affection. We took a, one of those love language um, tests, and yeah, mine was physical touch. I'm a hugger. Like, I, I like to do that, but it annoys them. But I was really encouraged as I heard this quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon the other day. He's describing our father. I will tell you the way I think the father behaved toward his son, who had been dead but was alive again, who had been lost but was found. Let me try to describe the scene. The father kisses his son, and he bids him sit down. Then he comes in front of him and looks at him and feels so happy that he says, I must give you another kiss. Then he walks a minute, away a minute, and he's back again after long, saying to himself, Oh, I must give him another kiss. He gives him another, for he is so happy. His heart beats fast. He feels very joyful. The old man would like the music to strike up. He wants to be at the dancing. But meanwhile, he satisfies himself by a repeated look at his long-lost Oh, I believe that God looks at the sinner and looks at him again and keeps on looking at him, all the while delighting in the very sight of him when the sinner is truly repentant and comes back to his father's house. So can you think about God that way? That you're his child? If you believe that he's, he, he's got you back and he loves you? Too much of the time, though, of course, we're tempted to live like the other son in that story, like the Pharisees, He's standing over on the side, a big scowl on his face, and he's yelling out, I tried so hard, I never did anything wrong, I did better than him, and you're throwing that kid a party. We do that when we can join in the party where we can get hugs for ourselves, but we choose to keep on the mask. As Jared Wilson put it, you can be yourself in Jesus, it's not the impressive version of you that you Chorus, here in the gospel, through what Jesus has done, through his life, death, and resurrection, and not through what we have done at all, we are brought into God's family. We're given a new identity as a daughter, as a son, and that changes everything if we have trust in him. It changes everything from every aspect of the Christian life, and certainly for fasting. I want to think then, sixth, about our motivation. And I have more points than normal today, so hopefully you can bear with me. Sometime back in Matthew chapter 3, we met John the Baptist. 
He's the forerunner of Jesus who told people, get ready for him. What did we hear him say? I'm baptizing you with water. This one's going to come along and baptize you with the Spirit. And he says, he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Over in John's Gospel, in chapter 3, the baptizer reminds people. He basically said, hey, he's the bridegroom. I'm his friend, you know, maybe the best man, that's all. And then he says in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And those words remind us of what our motivation should be in everything we do, and especially as we fast. The Pharisees are trying to puff themselves up and get more for themselves, and that meant applause, of course. What should our motivation be if we're children of the Father, the opposite? To make ourselves low, to get more of God, and there, in that, to give Him praise. There's so much that I can say about what it means to fast. But fasting in the Bible is associated very closely with something, something we may not expect, something very unlike the hypocrites. It's associated with humbling yourself. Again, they were trying to look humble, but their hearts were far, far from Him. We who are his children, we fast, we're saying we're needy. We're saying that we're finite and frail, that we're feeble and foolish. We're saying that we're desperate for him. That what we need is not food, at least not most of all. We need his words. We can't just live on bread alone. We need him. What else are we saying when we practice fasting? We're seeking to get more of God, that we want him. We're saying that we want to turn from things that don't satisfy, and human praise is one of those, and to receive the one, the only one who will satisfy, who will fill our souls. That's what our motivation must be for life, as well as in all of our acts of worship, like fasting, to get more of him, to bring glory to his name. That little kid, secure in his father's love, wants to make his daddy proud. Not as some way to get love, but flowing out of that love, flowing out of that security. We as Christians, we want to get much of him and make much of him. That becomes our motivation. But that will still lead seven to acts of devotion, like giving and praying and here fasting. Here's what I think is so easy for us to do is to hear these words. Our motives have to be pure, and we can respond affirmatively in our heads. And you can hear me say, we have his love no matter what we do, and then we can respond in our hearts. That's right, that's good, I'm tracking with you. But here's the problem. Yes, our motives are important, but they're not everything. There's still a place for devotion in the life of the Christian. Discipline is not the same as legalism, Right? Jesus says, after all, here in verse 16, he says, when you fast, he assumes we will. He's assuming this is what God's people do. It's really, if you think about it, what all major religions do, but we do it again for this different reason. It flows out of that relationship, out of the security we have. And we give and, and pray and fast, not as an end in themselves, but as a means to an end to get more of God, to get greater joy in Him. And as we're doing that, we're glorifying Him. But we still do these things. We give, we pray, we fast, as we see in this chapter. Out of our trust, we obey. 
Well, what does Jesus say here that his disciples should do? Look at verse 17 again. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Well, back when I was a kid, my dad taught me how to play guitar, and I almost immediately started accompanying my sister as she sang around the state in shows. It was way before American Idol, but my mom, who loved music, honestly just lived her dreams through my sister. And it was just so traumatizing, the fact that my sister refused to sing up until recently, right? She's almost 50. My mom would get her all dressed up. She taught her how to perform on stage. I remember my sister, eight years old, prancing around the stage, flipping her pigtails back and forth, waving and pointing at the audience. You know, it seems like Little Miss Sunshine or something like that. Um, acting like more like she was 28, you know, singing stuff and songs that, trust me, she and I had no idea what it was about. Well, my dad's, my dad's sister was visiting one weekend, and we were all sitting around, we were playing and singing, and my sister, of course, sang in, she broke out in her fake vibrato, her overdone stage voice. And I remember my aunt looking at her and saying fairly strongly, right in my mom's presence, why don't you just sing naturally? Well, the first thing I wanted to say, you know, being a, a nerd as a kid, well, I think you meant sing naturally. But the second thing I wanted to say was like, amen, Aunt Shirley. Amen, preach. This is country music thing. It's killing this boy here. Please, help me. Isn't this what Jesus is just saying here? Look naturally? Look natural? That should be natural. Look natural. Anoint your head. We can talk about that later. Anoint your head and wash your face. Look like yourself. Don't look like those fools over there. Everyone can tell they're fake. That's clearly their stage voice, right? All that dirt on their face is way overdone. Anoint your head. Now, anointing was often a symbol of joy. So he might be saying to them, try to downplay that you're down. If you're going to do anything, um, act like you're happier than you are, right? Or he could just be saying, practice some hygiene, right? Scrub your face. Quit looking like such a fool. Take a shower. Come over here for crying out loud. Trim your beard. Use some Dio for your Bio. Give us all a break. Put on some clean clothes. Jesus says, sing or fast or pray. Whatever you do, naturally, look normal. In fact, try not to even be seen. So interestingly, that word for this figure back in verse 16 literally means make invisible. And so the Pharisees are trying to do that. They're trying to make themselves unrecognizable with the dirt and the ash. But of course, in doing that, they're making them seem all the more. It's functioned as a, a mask that draws attention. Jesus is saying here, really, really make yourself unseen. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't focus on the outside, but more on what's here. Let your fasting be done in secret. I don't think he means that we can't fast as a group. But he's saying, don't make it about impressing people. The Pharisees, again, they're distorting themselves on the outside. Christ's disciples in fasting are to deprive themselves on the inside. Hypocrites do what they do to get filled up with self and get themselves praised. The disciples, we do it to get filled up with God and to bring Him glory. We empty ourselves of self. We devote ourselves to Him because we're moved by who we are in Him. And what I want you to hear is that that makes all the difference in our life together. Now, so we started out 
talking about the community that Jesus calls out here, the culture. And I want to wrap up Abe with thinking about a culture that he encourages. So the life of Pharisees, one of anxiety, one of judgmentalism. The life of Christians should be different. It should be a culture of freedom and joy. I love these words from Matthew Perry Jones, a singer-songwriter, in his tune, The Belly of the Beast. He says, I'm so tired of pretending I'm okay, building playgrounds over graveyards for display, because there's a freedom when we take off the disguise and just look at the face. Are you tired of pretending and posturing, of the playing and the posing, of being a fake and a fraud and of keeping up a facade? Why don't we just say that we're sick of it all and walk away from that and decide to walk in the light with Him? Hear these words from 1 John 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. So what is Jesus talking about through John here? About being honest, right? Honest before Jesus, honest before each other, confessing our sins to him, confessing them to one another. He's talking about stopping the games, the act, the show, the dance, and just being natural with one another. Doesn't that sound awesome? Because being fake is exhausting, right? Keeping up appearances is hard. It takes work. How awesome would it be if we could just relax in his love, in the love of one another? Wouldn't there be freedom and joy there? Wouldn't that be awesome if we could just be honest? In addition, in this community of Jesus, we should also be hungry. Hungry. What's fasting about again? We're going without food, but it's not just to lose weight or to clean out your body. We're doing it to create a longing for God, to devote time for prayer, to fill ourselves up with Him. And yeah, to flush out lesser love, so there is some detox to it. How do you think that if we realize just what we have in Him, the love we have in the gospel, that we would want to call out to Him more, that we would want to run to Him more and fill ourselves up with Him? Let's pray, Carson, that we can be a place of gospel honesty to walk in the light together. But let's also pray that we can be more and more a place of gospel renewal where we hunger for God, where we see our great need, where we want more and more of it. Would God birth the movement of prayer in our church and in our city? And would you jump in and be a part of that? We're going to call you to fast with us in the days ahead of the fall. Would you jump in with that too, with what we talked about today in mind? Let's not be a place where we're fake and we're full, but one that wants to be honest and has our hands wide open to Him. Of course, there's risk in that, is there not? So if we're honest and, and we open ourselves up to God and especially to those around us, won't we certainly get hurt? We can have so much fear. Maybe we say we tried before, never again, but Jesus says the reward is worth it. It's keeping up the act. It's closing, your, closing yourself off that's the problem. It may feel safe. It may feel comfortable. It may be what you're used to, but the, the reward will not last. Jesus says again in verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your 
Father, who is this people who warn you? If we're humble before him, if we're hungry for him, it'll be worth it. Church, on that last day, in ways that we can't imagine. But until that day, we have the opportunity to live in a gospel culture where we don't just talk about the gospel, and it's not just a thing, bunch of things that we assent to, that we believe in our heads, but we live it out together in honesty and love. Why don't we say yes to that? Sure. Go back to verse 1 that came out this section. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, beware. Beware, brothers. Beware, sisters. Watch out, friends. Watch out, neighbors. If we don't want to miss out. Yes, one day in a new world, but here in our lives today. And that's all of us. We all need to hear this. Because we're all hypocrites, at least in part. Right? The one thing we can't do is leave here and say, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to do better. No, what I want you to hear today is that there is a, there's Pharisee in every single one of us. When we're trying to put forth our best image, we're hoping those around us will notice. It's not just Christians who live this way. It's all of us. It's just in the church we should be a place where we realize that that's the case. So we're not like Truman and the Truman Show. We know what's true. We're honest and we're hunger, hungry for change. Rich Mullins once said this. He said, I never understood why going to church made you a hypocrite either, because nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together and you don't need to go, you can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. <laughs> Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people you pass on the way there, to the people who greet you there, that you don't have it all together and that you need their support, you need their direction, you need some accountability, you need some help. And then I like what he says elsewhere. He says, the church full of hypocrites? Are you kidding me? No, there's room for plenty more. <laughs> and as we, we come together humble and hungry, we open ourselves actually for change in that. Right? Now, I mentioned that I grew up playing guitar. Do you know what makes the difference between a guitar that's good and one that's not so good? Well, the good ones are made out of real wood. Right? It's real. It's solid. The not-so-good ones are usually put together with bad wood that's covered over with a thin veneer. So it doesn't reverberate as it's supposed to. It doesn't project as it's supposed to. The world needs to hear from us a song, a song of praise to God. And how do we get to that point? We have to be real. But the solution isn't to try harder, to will ourselves into some other state, but to trust the master builder who grabs wood out of the scrap bin with the swatches, with the knots, and turns us into something beautiful that kicks out rich, lush tones for the world to hear. So, I realize they're not as popular as before, but reality TV shows still, still are with some people. Now, some people, of course, are drawn to the drama, right? You want to watch the dumpster blaze, right? You want to see the train wreck. But I think some of us are wanting an escape. We want to live in some way through the lives of other people, maybe even to think that there could be a better way to live. So imagine if people looked over the fence and saw people who were real. Or if we took down the fence 
they can look right in. Not people who are perfect, like Truman, but people honest about who they are, but also different. A, a community devoted to what's good, the people who aren't satisfied with who they are, they're hungry to grow to get more of them. A people who are confident, but not in and of themselves, they're, they're confident in their father. And through that confidence, through that security, they experience freedom and joy. That could be something worth seeing. That might even be something important. So here's what I want to leave, leave with you today. Let's give up our feeble efforts to fool others and our Father, and let's rather walk in His light, fasting, and giving and praying in a way that showcases how good and great He is. Lord in heaven. in us this kind of honesty and hunger. Um, these are things that can only come from you. We know that you see us as we really are. Um, help us to be real about that and help us to lower the walls and allow each other to see that as well so we can point each other back to you. And make us, I pray, more and more hungry for who you are, for what you, you give, your greatness, your glory, and your grace. And renew us, I pray, by all these things. Work in us, I pray, Lord.